Parkway, how are we doing today? Great. Well, it's good to be in Victoria, Texas, and uh, I'm here with you uh, for the next few uh, next few days. Excited about being here. As as Mike just t- told you that uh, we used to do ministry together 20 years ago, uh, which is uh, equivalent to a lot more hair and a lot less body fat, Mike. And um, so. Uh, uh, but uh, we go way back, and I'm just so excited about being here with you uh, this morning and, and this evening and the next two evenings together. You know, Mike was telling me that for the last few weeks you've been, uh, you, you, uh, you've been going through a series called Everyday Disciples. And one of the DNAs, one of the, one, one, part of the DNA of a Christ follower, at its very core, is that as an everyday disciple, we are a worshiper. That's who we are. That's how God created us. We were created to be a worshiper. You know, the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 86, as an introductory passage, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So all that God has created... All the nations he has created will all gather together and and we're going to worship because we are worshipers. When you think of the scriptures from cover to cover, what you're going to find is that there are particular themes that run through all the pages of the Bible. One theme may be that, um, that the theme of that God is a redeeming God, that he is on a redemptive mission to seek and save that which is lost, to take the broken humanity into and to heal it through his son, Jesus Christ, by the blood-bought salvation that we have in Christ, that he is on mission. We call this in the Latin, he's called the Missio Dei, which is the God on mission, that he is the God on mission to come and to redeem what is his, his people, to bring, uh, to bring us into salvation. That is one theme that we're going to find throughout Scripture. But there's another theme that we find throughout Scripture, and, and that is the theme of the glory and the worship of God. I don't know if you've ever had that miscellaneous thread on maybe your shirt button or maybe your sweater that if you pull it, because you really do want to pull it, by the way, that if you pull it, um, it's a 50-50 proposition. Like your button's either coming off or, uh, or you're going to have a clean break, which is always good news. Maybe it's that sweater that has that one little thread that's just kind of hanging there and you're like, I know I, you're on your way to, to, to girls' night out. And you're like, I need to get that. And you just pull it and before you know it, like your sweater shrinks up on you because it didn't come out right. That actually happened to me this morning. I was getting ready, I was buttoning my button uh, here and uh, there's a little thread and I went to pull it and there goes the button. That's the only reason I'm wearing a sport coat today was so that you couldn't see my missing button. But, um, uh, you know, it pulled right off. But my dad did once tell me that a sport coat is worth a thousand words. So, with that said, I'm done. No. Uh, uh, But when you pull on the thread of Scripture, when you begin to pull on this theme of God's glory and worship, what you're going to find, it, it begins to kind of, it begins to kind of take all of Scripture and just unfold it for us. That we begin to see that what God is doing on the face of this earth is that he's redeeming people and putting them into a worshiping community of him. Because the reality is is that we are hardwired to worship. That's how God created us. We are hardwired for worship. Now you may be thinking to yourself this morning that I I don't worship. Like, I mean, I come to worship service, but I, you know, it's just not quite my thing. 
Like maybe uh, worship to you is, well, that's what, you know, we do it okay here at Parkway, but real worship is done at the, you know, the church down the street. Now, they, they get after it every Sunday. Or maybe you're thinking, like, I, I, I don't really get into the music. I'm not really a worship guy. Uh, but my wife, now, she's into worship. Like, when we come to worship on Sundays, it's not, you know, we're not, we're not two, two verses in, and both hands are up. So doesn't she have enough worship for the whole family? Can't she share, you know, doesn't she kind of carry the responsibility of worship for the whole family? But the reality is that the way that God created us is we are created to give our devotion and our adoration to something. To something. At the end of time, Revelation chapter 5 says that all nations, all tongues, all people will gather together in heaven. And as we gather together, there will be worship. It'll, it'll, it'll be the, the song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, for he is worthy to take of the scroll. This will be the sound of, uh, of heaven, will be worship. So if you don't like worship now, you better get used to it, because that's what we're going to be spending eternity doing, is worshiping. And I don't know what it's going to be like. All I know is that every people, every tongue, every tribe will be there. I don't know what the worship songs will be like. I don't know if we'll have different language worship songs. I don't know if Chris Tomlin will be there and maybe he'll lead a set. And then King David will lead. And that one's going to be a lot better, by the way. Like, I don't know what it's going to be like. All I know is that in eternity, there will be the object of our worship, the person of Jesus Christ, on full display. And it says that his people will come, and we will come, and we will gather, and we will say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord who is worthy to take of the scroll. He is worthy, and he's worthy of our worship. And worship's not just something that happens in eternity. It happens every day. In every moment here in this life now. Because we're created to worship. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Rome. And in Romans chapter 1, this is what he writes. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. They exchanged the glory. They exchanged the worship of God of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul is making the observation as he writes to the church of Rome. He's like, listen, here's the problem. All of creation since the fall of man, because of our depravity, because we once lived in harmony with God and he had our heart, he had our devotion, he had our affection, he had our adoration. But after the fall, that we begin to exchange the glory of God and the worship of God for that in which um, he created. We, we, we exchange the worship of the creator for the things that he created. We, we exchanged the, the worship for the one who blessed with the blessings that we have. And, and he makes this observation, letting us know that you are created for worship. In Acts chapter 17, we, we have a story of the Apostle Paul. He's walking through the, th the streets of Athens. And as he walks through the streets of Athens, he begins to recognize that all over Athens, there were idol after idol after idol of all these different gods. The god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of the harvest, the god of the earth, the, you know, uh, all these different gods. 
And Paul stands at the place that we call the, the place uh, Mars Hill or the Oropagus. And as he stands at the Oropagus, this is what Paul says. Acts chapter 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus. Now it's very interesting because this word Oropagus is actually derived from uh, the Greek god of war, Arius. And so this is the place of war. It is the Mars Hill. It's the hill of war. So get this. He said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious people. He's like, as I walked around your city, I saw all these idols, all these places of worship, these idols to worship. He says, I notice that you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Paul says, as I walked around, I saw all these different idols, but... As I saw them, I also saw the one that said, to the unknown God. So just in case, just in case you, 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 you don't, you know, you, you're not sure you're worshiping all the right gods, there's to the unknown God. And you can go and you can worship the unknown God just to kind of cover your basis. And here at the place of war, the Oropagus, Paul is basically saying, that there is a war and there's a battle in each one of our lives today for what will we worship? What will we give our devotion to? What will we give our adoration to? Paul goes on to say, that which you worship in ignorance, I now bring to you. And he begins to, he begins to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idol of the unknown God is the person of Jesus. See, we are all designed and created to worship. We're hardwired that way. We will all give our worship to something, to something. So just so we understand what worship is, maybe we can have a working definition for us this morning. A working definition for worship that I'd give you today would be this. Worship is our response. It's our response. So it's a response. Both personal and corporate to who God is, what he has done, expressed in the things that we say, in how we live. So worship is our response to who God is and what he has done. It's an appropriate response. Worship is an appropriate response when we begin to get a vision of who God is and what he has done. You know, uh, earlier this year, my son, my, my oldest son, he was 11, uh, is a golfer. He loves to play golf. He plays golf, baseball, but he loves golf. I like that he likes golf because I like to play golf. And um, uh, it used to be a lot of fun playing with my son. Uh, but now, uh, as he's 11 years old, I don't like playing with him anymore because he's always asking, how many strokes are you going to give me in this round? And I'm to the point where I'm like, you're not getting another stroke. Like, we're done. Because uh, the last couple times I've lost. And so I'm, I'm getting a little upset even though I'm still trying to enjoy it. But earlier uh, this year, uh, he was in a junior PGA tournament in the Austin area, and, um, and he made it all the way through kind of these different events, and he ended up getting in the, in the championship round. And uh, junior PGA is, is played a little bit different than what you watch on TV, but uh, you can have a caddy. I served as, as his caddy. I see it as a, a short-term sacrifice, long-term gain, that if I caddy him now and I do well, maybe someday if uh, he becomes the next, like, Jordan Spieth, he'll put me on the bag. So that's my retirement plan. And um, no pressure, son. But uh, so I was his caddy, and, um, and, and, and it's not... 
these tournaments, you don't play like stroke, you know, it's not stroke play. It's not who gets the, you know, the, the, the least amount of strokes. What they do is, um, it's a little bit different. They call it, you have to win the flag. So you, you play, you know, per hole. Now you're going to play nine holes at this, at this age. You're going to play nine holes. And whoever wins five out of the nine holes wins. Now, you know, if you continue to split the holes, you're going to get to a point to where whoever wins the next hole. It's like sudden death. Well, we go, we, we go out and, um, uh, you know, we, he's doing great. We get up to the very last hole. It's all even. So it comes down to whoever can win the next hole. Now, as a caddy, I'm trying to tell him to relax. You got this. And, you know, trying to help him with his shots. And, and one of the things about golf that about it is that I've been trying to tell my son and teach him in this way is that golf is about a sport it's a gentleman's sport it's a sport of etiquette right I mean golf is a sport of etiquette everybody's quiet you know, all the parents who follow along they're all quiet clap like you know when something good happens it's just small little claps like golf is is about etiquette so I've been trying to teach my son etiquette like just you know, just be, be, it's a gentleman's sport. Be, show etiquette. Don't walk in front of someone's ball. All these things. But it's always quiet because that's, that's what golf is. So we get down to the final hole. He has a nice drive. He has a nice, he has a, he has a nice approach to the green. Gets it on the green. He's putting for birdie. But so is the other player. The other player's putting for birdie too. He's got like a 27-foot putt. I'm telling my son, don't worry. He's probably not going to make it, Right? Um, and he doesn't. He doesn't make it. But my son's not in a much better position. I mean, he's 19 foot. He's below the hole. He's putting up. Uh, uh, he's playing. He's putting uphill. And um, and I'm thinking that, as I told him, very, very, very precisely, it's going to break to the left. As a caddy, I can give my advice. You know, if it's going to break to the left, it's going to break to the right. And um, you know, when I play golf, uh, uh, gentlemen, if you play golf, I'm kind of like if it's within four feet, it's a give me. You can't do that here. Right? And it's, trust me, it's not a gimme within four feet. But, uh, but, you know, that's how I play. So I'm telling my son, listen, you've got to get, it's got to be the perfect putt. If you sink this putt, you're going to win. And every, all the parents are all gathered around the green. Everybody's quiet. You know, it's just, it's quiet. It's kind of tense. Now, I'm thinking my son's probably not going to get this, but we got to get it up there close. So I'm telling him, I said, son, you're putting uphill. You have to give it a little extra. And it's going to break to the left. And my son says to me, Dad, it's breaking to the right. I said, no, son, it's breaking to the left. Dad, it's breaking to the right. Son, you know, all the I can't yell, golf, you know, etiquette. It's breaking to the left. Dad, it's breaking to the right. Left, right, fine. Go, lose the tournament. I don't care. Right? You ever been there, parents? So I'm frustrated as can be, trying to keep my cool because it's all about etiquette. My son gets up here, takes a stroke, takes a practice stroke. I'm trying to tell him it's going to go left. Gets down there, takes his putt. It's going towards the hole, going towards the hole. It's going uphill. It's getting slower, slower, slower. It's about to break left, but it breaks right. It gets right up to the lip of the hole, and it falls in. Now, in this moment, as a parent and as a caddy, I don't care about etiquette. I pick my son up, and I'm like, yes, you 
just won the tournament. You got this, you got this, buddy. Oh, we're going crazy. We're screaming, we're yelling. I'm so excited, I'm so happy for him. I don't care about the other kid, by the way, right? We'll deal with that later. Because this is about my boy right here in this moment. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm holding him up now. Now listen, it's golf, it's about etiquette. But when your son sinks the winning putt for a birdie, there is no etiquette. Right? You've been there, parents. Whether they made that, whether they made the, the winning goal or the winning basket, you don't care about the other team. All you know is you're caught up in the moment. And in this moment, as you're screaming and yelling, guess what? It's an appropriate response given the moment. It's an appropriate response. I have a picture of him uh, holding his trophy, and uh, that is an appropriate response when you win a trophy that's taller than you, right? Worship, listen, worship is our appropriate response to who God is and what he has done. It's an appropriate response. And here's the deal, whether you're out at a little league game or you're, or you're watching your child play soccer or your son is making the winning putt in the junior PGA, here's the deal. The deal is, is you respond appropriately and usually the way that you process life is superseded. Meaning this, I've seen accountants get crazy at little league games. I've seen them actually get excited, right? Because the moment... It supersedes the way we process life. And when Jesus Christ is on full display for who he is and what he has done, it supersedes the way you process life. It's not just Jesus. No. It's the King of Kings. It's the Lord of Lords. We respond appropriately. In our appropriate response, I think there's, there's three aspects to it. One is our affection, the second is our attention, and the third is our allegiance. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus told us that we are to love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. So, so we're supposed to love God with everything that we have, which is an appropriate action of uh, appropriate response to who he is is that we love him like he's never been loved before it's about our affection worship is about the affection of the heart love the lord god with all your heart all your heart we understand affection you understand affection you understand men when you fell in love with your wife you understood what that felt like you understood thinking to yourself i'm in love you go to hold, your, hold her hand and your, your palms are sweaty, but they were cold all at the same time. You had butterflies in your stomach. Women, you remember what it was like to fall in love with your husband three years after he confessed his love to you, right? You remember that. We know what it's like to hold our, 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 our children when they're first born and we hold them and the affection that we feel. We know affection, and worship is in the same way. It's the affection of our hearts. It's the affection of our hearts. What would it be like if what was known about Parkway Church was not so much the music, was not so much the, the ministry that they do, was not so much the good coffee in the cafe, but it was mainly that the people at Parkway, they love Jesus like he's never been loved before. Oh, now that's a message for the watching world who's trying to understand who Jesus is. 
that they love Jesus like he's never been loved before. So worship is the affection of our hearts, aimed by the attention of our minds, meaning that the object of our worship is Jesus. (laughs) That's the object of our worship. It's the Son of God. It's God himself who came and put on flesh and stepped into time and stepped into humanity to redeem that which was lost, to find that which was lost, to redeem us into salvation, into the marvelous light, and and to rest in the mercy of the cross. He is the object. He is the attention of our worship. So it's the affection that we have that's aimed straight towards the person of Jesus. So it's the affection of our hearts aimed by the attention of our minds authenticated by the allegiance of our life. It's all about our allegiance. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So worship is more than just, it's more than just words. It's more than just songs. It's more than just an hour of our time on a weekend. Worship Demands everything. All of us. Demands our heart. Demands our mind. And it demands our life. When we see the person of who Jesus is, the most appropriate response is just say, I give you, I, I give you everything. Worship's not just when we gather. Worship's just not on the way to work when we listen to the, the, you know, the last Hillsong song. Like, worship is everything I give. I remember I grew up Baptist. I don't know. I think I'm in good company here today. But I grew up in a small little Baptist church. And uh, this was back in the days when you had Sunday night service every week. And about once a month, once every five weeks, a uh, pastor would say that we're going to have, come Sunday night, we're going to have Singspiration. I loved Singspiration. Singspiration was awesome because what you did is you gathered on Sunday night and you just sang songs. That's how they got, it's a play on words, sing, inspiration. So you're inspired by song. So we would gather together about once a month and we'd have singspiration. And there were no rules to singspiration. All, all you had was the hymnal in front of you in the pew. And so you could at any point grab that hymnal out and say, I want to sing hymn number 132. And man, the pianist and the, and the, organ, you know, the organist would get up there. Burr, burr, love lifted me, love lifted me. You guys remember that one? Anybody? All right. If you don't, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Welcome to Jesus. Um, so we would sing these songs. And, and, and sing inspiration, like, if the Spirit was really moving, I mean, if the Holy Spirit fell afresh at sing inspiration, by the time you left, pastor was going to say this. Hey, I feel the Holy Spirit moving. Let's just, let's just grab hands with your neighbor. Oh, I love that because, see, as a junior hire, I understood that if I, was, if I was good enough and I could position myself next to the cutest girl, I was going to be able to hold her hand. That's all I was thinking as inspiration was, okay, Holy Spirit, please fall. Please fall. <laughs> right? Man, you would hold hands. And if the Holy Spirit was moving like it was like the day of Pentecost type moving, he would say, uh-uh, we're not done. You go ahead and grab across those aisles. We are family. Bind us together. Uh, you know, we would start singing that. And of course, you're going to have, you know, you're, you're going to have that one guy. Arms are going up, so your arms are going up. And if you try to come down, he's grabbing, he's taking it back up. Uh, we're all in this. He's got windshield wipers, the whole deal. 
Oh, I love Singspiration. But I remember even as a junior hire, leaving Singspiration and thinking to myself, something doesn't feel right. Like I just sang the songs like they've never been sung before. And yet I know when I go to school tomorrow, my life is not going to look any different than possibly the person who doesn't know Jesus. Like, like the, the, the words that I'm singing and, and, and even the affections that I'm feeling in that moment at Singspiration wasn't going to be authenticated through the allegiance of my life. By the way I lived my life. But worship is the authentic, uh, it's, it's authenticated by how we live our life. It's offering up our bodies, our lives as a holy sacrifice. Everything that we have. It's a sacrifice. Now this word sacrifice, the, the, whole, the whole church, our whole faith is predicated on this word sacrifice. In fact, a lot of times throughout scripture you'll see worship and you'll see sacrifice almost side by side. And our faith is predicated on this word sacrifice because it was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that purchased you and brought you out of darkness and out of sin to rest in the mercy of the cross. And it's the sacrifices of his people that authenticate the allegiance of their worship. And we understand sacrifice. Like I was just thinking, I don't know who's into March Madness, but if you're into March Madness and, and you get a last minute phone call from a buddy, it says, hey man, it's crazy. I just scored two tickets to March Madness. You want to go? And he's doing the calculation real quick. All right. I have this to do, I have that to do. What am I going to tell my wife? Is she going to go for this? The kids have this going on this week. It's going to cost. And then he does calculation. He's like, yeah, I'm going. Right? And so maybe he's got a lot of yard work to do. He's got the to-do list. So he knocks it out real quick. Boom, 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 boom. And he says, hey, you know, honey, I got it all done. And uh, I, I, you know, I've talked to work. The kids are all squared away. I helped you with that. So-and-so's picking them up for practice. But I got these tickets. We're going to go to March Madness. And she's like, okay. So you go. And, you know, you, you, you get a red-eye flight. You go and you have a good time. You come back. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're behind at work. All sorts of things. And you come in dragging like a lazy dog into your house. And your wife says, well, I hope it was worth it. And your response is, it was worth it. It's like, that perfect, it's like that perfect family vacation. You know, the kids want to go to Disney World. And you're thinking, for us to go to Disney World, we're, we're, like, we can't afford that. We're, we're, we're going to have to save. We're going to have to cut this out. We're going to cut that out. The kids can't eat on Saturdays. But if we do all these things, if we do all these things, we might be able to do it. Right? And so... You make all the sacrifices. And, 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 and yeah, you, you, you cut the budget. You save here. You save there. And you go to Disney World. And yes, it's, it's the perfect vacation. The kids love it. It's, you know, it's, the, it's just amazing vacation. And you come back and people say, how are the trip? And you're like, oh, it was great. And you say, man, we did this. We had to cut this in the budget. We had to do this and this. We had to sacrifice to save all the money to go. And they say, was it worth it? And you're like, yeah, it was worth it. Someday we're going to be in heaven. 
And the anthem of heaven will be holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to be singing this together. And we're going to be thinking about the sacrifices that we gave for the kingdom. We're going to be thinking about the treasures that we released for kingdom work. We're going to be thinking about the relationships that we built so that people would come to Christ. We're going to think about how God gifted me and I gave it away. And I used my gifting to advance the kingdom. We're going to think about all the time and the energy and the, and the work that went into advancing the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we sing, we're going to ask, we're going to ask ourselves, was it worth it? We're going to say, it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. Because for who God is and what he has done, everything that we have can be given and given freely because it is worth it. It is worth it. You see, the question that you have to wrestle with as you leave here this morning is not, am I a worshiper? You are a worshiper. The question that you have to wrestle with is, what am I worshiping? If you follow the trails of your affections, if you follow the trails of your attention, if you follow the trails of your allegiance, the things that you're willing to sacrifice for, you will find what sits on the throne of your life. You'll find it. It ain't that hard. Just follow the breadcrumbs. And our heart is that this morning and throughout the next couple days that what will begin to maybe get back into realignment is that what sits on the throne of my heart is the true object of worship, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has given me all and I freely give it all back to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that we will be moved over these next few days together. That even as we gather here this morning, that you will remind us of the greatness of who you are. And we will respond appropriately. We will respond with our affection, with the attention of our minds, and the allegiance of our life. That we will respond appropriately. That we will give you worship. We'll be willing to sacrifice all that we have. Because we understand that in light of eternity, everything that we give to you is worth it. It is worth it. Lord, may you get the glory this morning as we rest in the mercy of the cross. May you get all the glory, all the worship, and all the praise. And in your name, amen.